0: Hello. Happy Monday. When was the last time that you thought about the Roman Empire? Really? I literally never think about it. But according to TikTok, men apparently do all the time. This is old news by now, but whatever. I don't abide by your TikTok rules. What's old is new, because I just learned about it. Apparently, a month ago, this thing went viral on TikTok, where women recorded interactions with their husbands or boyfriends, in which they asked them how often they thought about the Roman Empire. Based on their answers, men think about it constantly. Constantly. And the men in these response videos are so serious. They're deadly serious, as if, why would you even ask that? Don't you realize I'm constantly in the gladiator ring in my head? And why is that a strange thing? Why is that not normal? They also seem shocked that their partners are shocked about what a huge part the Roman Empire plays in their interior lives. This trend was a big thing. The hashtag Roman Empire has nearly a billion views. A billion. A billion people are talking about this. I mean, frankly, I think that's a little sad. It is. Just don't we have anything better to talk about these days? but apparently I'm going to talk about it today. I want to know, what does this say about men? What does this say about our culture? And what does it say about the Roman Empire? To figure it out, I called up the author, journalist, and cultural critic Peggy Orenstein. She writes and thinks a lot about both the politics of everyday life and gender. She's the author of many, many books. Her most recent, Unraveling, is a Delight, You Should Order It right away. I also love Cinderella Ate My Daughter as the mother of a girl who owns way too many princess dresses, and the books Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex. Peggy and I started out our conversation, I, by the way, I just emailed her and was literally, I don't know her, and I was literally like, hey, can we shoot the shit about the Roman Empire? And she wrote back right away and said, yeah, we can shoot the shit. Awesome. I love that I can do that. Anyway, we started out our conversation dissecting this Roman Empire thing. Why do men think about it all the time? And also, why did it become such a sensation on TikTok? Does it have to do with the gladiators, the brutality, a desperation for a different kind of time? But then Peggy and I got into so, so much more. We got into all of these things that were actually way more interesting to me than the Roman Empire, that were actually way more interesting to me than the Roman Empire. We started chatting about rigid masculinity and the kinds of crazy masculinity, I don't want to say toxic, we're going to say rigid here, that boys might encounter on social media on a daily basis. There's so much that young men and young boys can find on social media that is absolutely terrifying. The stuff that is being served to young men is extreme and misogynistic, and frankly, so much of our parenting job of parenting young men is now to manage the media that they are being shown. And it's hard, because our kids are way ahead of the curve when it comes to this. As the mom of a son, this conversation freaked me out. But it also brought me hope. Because knowledge is power, and if we know what is out there, then we can at least make a plan for how to help our kids work through it. I have to tell you that I haven't thought about the Roman Empire since the show Rome. I was just in Rome and I still oh. wasn't focusing on the masculinity of the Roman Empire. I was very into the gelato, mostly. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I and mean, gelato and pasta. I'm having you on to talk about the Roman Empire because social media went wild for this idea that men are obsessed with the Roman Empire, that it may be the ultimate height of masculinity. And I feel like you are probably one of the best people to just shoot the shit with about that. <laughs> well, I don't
1: know. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you know,
1: I got, co- I got contacted by the New York Times to comment on that. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking
0: about. <laughs> <laughs> look look, look right? So I had to, like, Google it. No, Peggy. I saw it when you wrote something on your social media that said you had never heard about it yet. I didn't hear about it. I missed this whole TikTok craze about, is your husband obsessed with the Roman Empire? Probably.
1: I know you blink and you miss a TikTok, right? The thing was, for those who missed it, um, on social media that people, young women mostly, but not exclusively, were um, asking their male partners or friends, how often they thought about the Roman Empire and then recording their own response, the woman's response at the answer, because they were so done that so often it was like all the time. But I have to say, I did a little straw poll of the men in my life um, who were, of course, it's social media. So I thought, this is not social science, right?
0: No. (laughs) Social media. Oh, my God. I love that you just said that. Social media is not social science. Yeah, no. no, it's really mm-hmm. not. I yeah. definitely
1: like. I asked my niece to ask her husband, and she was like, "Oh, and he was." I they're about thirty, and he he, she was like, "Oh my god!" He said he thinks of the Roman Empire multiple times a week. I had no idea, but then I like I asked my husband, and he said, "Never." Um, and and it was like everything in between. I will say the one commonality, and it didn't it didn't coordinate to age. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't coordinate to. Like relative feminism or or like egalitarian attitudes necessarily. Um. I will say that the men of color all said never. And I think that's significant. Yes, yes. I think of it's a white thing. Of course it is. To the it's extent a whi- it's a thing, it's a white thing.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. it's a white. It's I think it's a white man thing. I haven't asked my husband yet. I'm going to ask him live on this podcast because uh-huh. I like. What if to he camp? says never? He might say never. He might. He may. He may say never. I. But I like to ambush him. I do. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that just makes sure he really appreciates that. You know what? He knows who he married. He does. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. yeah. They do. They do. They do. Okay. They really do. Why? For the men that said yes, as far as this is a phenomenon that some white men do tend to think about the Roman Empire every day. Why do you think this is? As someone who has covered and reported on masculinity yeah. in in culture for so long.
1: I mean, at first I felt like it was a really, like, sinister mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because you've got this ultimate masculinity. thing. They're looking at, like, would I survive the arena? I mean, one guy was saying to me, like, football is basically the Roman Empire. You know, you're sending these guys in to get pounded. Um, And watching it and cheering them on. That's basically the Roman Empire. And I thought, yeah, that kind of is, I guess. Huh, that is a contemporary version of that. Or boxing or these things like that.
0: MMA, I don't disagree. My husband quotes, um, my husband is from uh, Wisconsin. And he remembers very well growing up a family friend of, of theirs. The dad was a judge and every sunday when football came on he'd be playing at this house and this guy would say all the humans need their gladiators yep and that that is i mean that's 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 what sports are we're watching yeah. men men fight in a cage so i get yep. that i feel that real hard
1: one of my friends from college said well i think of it every time i see a straight road i think a oh, roman road i don't know what that is but apparently that's a thing i mean and then my and then one of my dear friend said, well, I think of it all the time. He said, I think about it. I mean, he was like, I emailed him. And I said, how often do you think about Roman?'" And within 30 seconds, I got an email with it all the time. I was like, really? Okay. And he's like, "In his, you know, he's like an older guy. He's, you know, I was like, what, why, why? And he said, well, as a child, I was obsessed the way you are with superheroes and things like that. And then he said, I'm less obsessed now, but I just think about like, you know, what would it have, I, I don't know. I couldn't, but it's so one And then on the and then on the most on that sinister end, I looked up, I just thought, I wonder, I wonder if there's an Andrew Tate component to this. You know who he is, right?
0: No, I don't know who Andrew no. Tate is. So
1: Andrew Tate, that's because you have daughters and you're a woman. But Andrew Tate is like the the really uh, he is this internet phenomenon mm-hmm. who convinces who talks about like masculinity as this sort of you know, men must be in, like the like the worst kind of of fragile, rigid masculinity that he's trying to convince young boys about. And he's, it's been a, it's a it's a terrible thing. And um and he's super popular with teen boys and young men. Um, He's like the masculinity version of white supremacy. Oh, he was arrested. He was in jail.
0: Yeah, I know. I see the look on your face. You're going, oh. Oh, because I'm looking him up and his net worth is something like seven hundred million dollars. Yeah.
1: Yeah. From... It's very. He's very bad. Very, very, very bad. And, and um, and, and it's something, you know, that you have to if you have if you had older kids, you would be talking about it, hopefully with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Girls, too, because they need to know what's going on with this guy and what how the influence he might be having on boys. So he has a tremendous influence on a, a fairly significant segment of boys. And it's uh, just on a whim, looked up Andrew Tate, Roman Empire. And yeah, it turns out he loves the Roman Empire for, you know, and because these boys who, who, who watch him or listen to him, they don't know anything. They're uneducated. So he's saying like the Roman Empire was the pinnacle of men being men and being control. And once and and once they, you know, the, the cycle is they get in control and then they get lax and then they become pussies and then somebody comes and takes them over. And that's why it fell because men became pussies. And that was, I mean, those, that's his language, not mine. And yeah. that, um, yeah, I figured.
0: so, yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah. that is, so there was also a, I don't like to really use the phrase toxic masculinity, but in this case, I think it fits. that There was a toxic masculinity piece of it, not for, you know, men like my nephew or my friend or my brother, but that is definitely a piece of it for a cohort of younger men, I think.
0: Now, now I'm really, I'm about to go deep down an Andrew Tate rabbit hole, which will probably yeah. make me feel Cop's gross that. and oozy yeah. later on. But I, we started this conversation to talk about the Roman Empire, but I do have to talk about this really quick now that it, it's, it's, you've brought it onto my radar. I, I did not even realize that this was such a thing on TikTok, bombarding these young men with these kinds of misogynistic videos. I do. I also I also have a son. I have a six year old son. And this is terrifying.
1: Yeah. And he was he was charged in Romania with rape and human trafficking. And yet he continues to have this um, really intense hold on a lot of um, boys and young men. And so it really is something because, you know, like anything with media, they watch it. They, you know, at first they watch it because they think it's like funny or weird. But those ideas get into their heads. And of course it it's something that uh, with for parents, because, you know, we look at that stuff and go like, well, that's ridiculous, but sure. it becomes not ridiculous to them. You know, it, it becomes part of their world in those. And, you know, there's a lot of research. I talked about this in Boys and Sex about how um, when you embed false facts in, in stories, people's first response. And this is not specific to boys. This is just humanity your first, and this t- tells us a lot about like fake news and what's happened on the internet. Your first response is to go, oh, that's not true. But then over time, even if it's not told to you again, like they, they did these experiments with college students where they put false facts into stories, like exercise is bad for you, like something that stupid, right? Yeah. And they go, yeah. well, of course that's not true. And then they asked them two weeks later after they've read the story and they're like, yeah, uh, you know, I heard someone that exercise is bad for you, and it actually becomes more. It, those false beliefs become strengthened over time after yeah. they're told things. So if you are, if if a boy is sitting and watching Andrew Tate because he thinks it's you know hilarious, as boys will say, um, yeah. when something you know, and I have a whole a whole deconstruction of of the word hilarious and what it means in boys' lives, but um, they watch it because they think it's funny or it's hilarious or it's goofy. But they will, it, it starts to implant beliefs. And that's not to say that they are all going to be horrible misogynists, rapists or anything like that, but it starts to skew who they are in the world. And, and we have to really, you know, it's a world that it, the, the, the online world, so much of the online world wants them to be super polarized, wants them to be extreme, wants them to be, you know, misogynist. And you, and you, are, you have to constantly sort of like upset that and talk to them about that and work with that.
0: Yes, I. And this Andrew Tate, he's not an obscure personality. Just for I feel like a lot of my, not of my, a lot of my listeners probably haven't heard about him either. His his video has been watched eleven point six billion times. Yeah, no, Uh, it's not
1: a little thing. I'm not talking about some weird corner, dusty corner of the dark web or something. This guy's mainstream. And this is mainstream. Boys really, because he makes you feel better about yourself and when you're a young man and you're like insecure like oh we all are when we're young you know it gives Mm -hmm. you sort of like some tools he he's supportive he uh, and then
0: slowly it flips into this like really deep misogyny we are going to take a quick break here when we get back we are going even further into this andrew tate rabbit hole and more terrifying things that boys and young men are being shown on social media I didn't know that this is where the episode was going, but I'm, I'm really glad we went there. Happy about it. Be right back. Okay. So right now, I just want to talk to you about shapewear. If you follow me on the social medias, you'll see that I was at a Depeche Mode concert recently, and I found some woman's discarded entire shapewear system. On the bathroom floor, she'd just like gone in there and taken it off and been like, "I can't dance with this on," and she just left it there. I posted a picture on Instagram, and everyone was like, "I am feeling her." And I get it because a lot of shapewear does not feel good on our bodies. I try out a lot of different brands, and I am here to tell you that I've found one that I really, really love. I love them, and I'm excited that they are now a sponsor of this show, so I can tell you more about them. I wear a lot of the shapewear. I've had three babies and I got this squishy belly that I love, but that also doesn't look the way I want it to look in some of the dresses that I I adore, that I want to wear out in the world, to my book events, on TV, things like that. So I recently tried Honey Love. Honey Love shapewear. I'm actually wearing it right now. And I feel like they've revolutionized the bra and shapewear game. The first thing I want to tell you is that it is easy to get on and off. Usually when I'm putting on shapewear, I am laying down on the bed and I'm, I'm like rolling up one leg at a time and to fit into it like I'm like I'm stuffing something in a sausage. The honey love just slides up my legs, up my legs, over my belly. I'm not fighting with it. And that is not nothing. That is not nothing. I've been wearing the bra for two days straight. Maybe you think that's disgusting or maybe that's you, but I've been wearing it for two days straight because it is very comfortable. It's very comfortable. Honey Love's bras are designed with back-smoothing fabric to prevent bra bulge. You know bra bulge. You know what it is. We all know it. We all know it. We don't talk enough about it. They've got this great v-neck bra that offers a totally smooth fit under your clothing. No one's going to see anything. No lines. No lines. Their best-selling superpower short is now my go-to. It's got this targeted compression technology that just kind of nudges you in the right way, like where you want to be nudged without squeezing out your beautiful natural curves it doesn't roll up it doesn't pinch you and i can't say enough it is easy to put on it is easy to take off i do not think shapewear should be hard and it has been hard ask that woman who left her bodysuit on the floor of the bathroom at the depeche mode concert honey loves products make you look and feel good and i love that i want that for you i want that for me I want you to treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market right now and save up to 50% off at honeylove.com slash influence. That's honeylove.com slash influence this month only. After you purchase, they're going to ask where you heard about them. And if you want to support the show, if you love us, let them know. Tell them we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good. Thanks to Honeylove and wear shapewear that makes your life easier, not harder. You deserve easy. I feel bad for young men for a lot of reasons, but they want to mm-hmm. be encouraged and led, and they want role models.
1: Yeah, I really try to avoid the, the phrase toxic masculinity because I think mm-hmm. it puts boys in a defensive crouch, and yeah. I don't want them to think that who they are, like their 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 personhood, is toxic. And so I I try to use words like rigid masculinity or uh, fragile masculinity or you know conventional masculinity, like words that are less loaded. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the boys, like when I, when I was writing boys, it's like some of them use that phrase because that phrase obviously is in the culture, and they all know it um but but i and and I'm often you know people will say like she that I use it, but i actually I actually try to not use that because i I feel like when I talk to boys, it was so interesting talking to boys honestly joe they they because first of all, they um would say people would say to me like, "How'd you get boys to talk to you like that?" And I'd say, I ask." You know, because really, <laughs> nobody asks them, and if you ask them, they actually talked more, sort of emotionally and deeply, in some ways, than girls did, because really? they never had the opportunity, and they were so. And I would say, like, you know, what? Tell me, um, you know, when I would ask them to, like, what, what was the question I would ask? Um, what's a what's the ideal guy? You know, it was like they were channeling 1955. They would immediately go into this, like, you know, athletic and sexual conquest, and you know, on, you know, rich and all these things. And they really wanted alternatives, and they really wanted ways that they could be a, a fuller person, especially around emotional suppression. They were so they they, they were really in pain around. Um, Emotional, around the ways that they would always say that what they had learned by the time they were really the age of your son, what they had learned was um, that they were allowed two emotions, happiness and anger. And when that's it, after a while, you really become incapable as we, you know, a lot of us adult women can attest to in some of our relationships with men. They don't have a big emotional range anymore because they have lost it. It has be, it has become, it has gone away because they didn't practice it. They didn't learn it. Their brains don't wire that way. So what I would say the best thing you can do with your little boys um, is to name emotion, as broad a range of emotions with them as you can. So, like you know, it seems it seems like you're feeling frustrated. It seems like you're really sad about that. It seems like you're very confused. It seems like you're feeling a lot of joy around, like the whole range of emotions so that they don't just go to happy when they're happy and everything else, anger. Because anger's, you know, that's where it starts with with boys. We don't want them to be acting that anger, that constant anger out. But if sad goes to anger, if frustrated goes to anger, if confused goes to anger, if everything goes to anger, you can see why that can become a dangerous situation. So it's really important as mothers, but also as much as possible men in their lives to really like Pinpoint emotions so that they can name the emotions in themselves and that allows them to hang on to them when they get as they get older.
0: Such That's such good advice. Yeah, we, we just went through something where my son, who has a lot of wonderful emotions, but he's been clashing with his dad because they're very similar. They have very similar, brilliant, fascinating brains. And he started writing him notes that say, I hate you, daddy. I'm oh. leaving them all over the house. Um, Interesting. Really in creative places. I mean there was one on the toilet seat. There is oh. one under like under his side of the covers over there. Uh but he and I had a talk about it and I said you don't hate daddy. You feel you feel things for daddy, you know. And I think that you're annoyed with daddy a lot of the time and he said he's like but I can't spell annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's really funny. like, okay, okay, kid. we can work with this. So I oh, wrote him a spelling guide for other ways to tell his father he's unhappy with him. I'm annoyed uh-huh. with you. I'm confused by you. I'm uh-huh. sad. Um, and now he's using a lot more, a lot more verbs. So isn't he- that great? I mean, great for his vocabulary,
1: but also that's exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, because hate is anger, right? And he's, usually anger. under. I mean, Hate is not usually a primary emotion. There's usually something underneath that. There's mm-hmm. hurt, there's sadness, there's pain, there's something else. So how do you help? I mean, I think that works for girls too, but girls yeah. aren't discouraged from um, learning what the range of their emotions are in the same way. I mean, they may they, it may be that they don't for whatever reason, but it's not considered part of their gender identity to cut themselves off from feeling. I always say that girls, boys, girls... The work with girls was about learning about how girls cut themselves off from their body and the work with boys, although it was also about sex and all of that, but it was really fundamentally about how boys cut themselves off from their heart.
0: Oh, see, I haven't. This is one of your books that I haven't read yet. And now I need to. Now I'm ordering it on Amazon right now. Well, well, I mean,
1: I'm not saying that you should. But, you know, obviously, (laughs) of of
0: course, of course, but but, I don't think they're ever too young. Yeah,
1: yeah. It is true that, you know, around those issues of, you know, development of emotion, other things that are going to eventually scaffold into being about their relationships with a partner, both emotional and sexual, are things that we plant the seeds of when they're very, very young, whether it's, you know, how we talk about their bodies, or it's how we allow them to express emotion, or it's how we teach them to behave with others on the playground, you know, all these things are going to, they're going to bring into their human relationships. And you can't really just start talking about the issues that, you know, that become that when they're, first of all, once they hit puberty, it's really hard to talk to them anyway, like entering into those conversations that, you know, 13, 14, 15, good luck with that. Not that you can't if your children are already that age, but it's, it's just a lot harder. Whereas if you are already talking about like, you know, emotions when they're little, if you get those, you know, there's all these, there's great books on, um, Sexuality for, you know, for four year olds that are, are wonderful. Um, Robie Harris's books are wonderful. Sex is a funny word, it's wonderful. i mean, they're all on my website, which is my name, but you know, there's to have those books in the home and to have those conversations sort of neutrally when they're when they're little. I mean, I can remember my daughter loves when I talk about her like this, I'll tell you. Um, but I can remember, you know, like when she was seven, um, we were sitting at dinner and all of a sudden, she was like eating, and all of a sudden, the fork like paused halfway to her mouth, and she kind of looked up, uh, you know, into space, and she said, "Mom, well, I know it takes a sperm and an egg to make a baby, but how does the sperm get into the uterus?" And, then, and my husband like gave me this look, like, eh. and I, I, without because I was, I knew I had prepared for this moment already. We had planted the seeds even up to that point, and I. Without Missy I said, you know, honey, that is such a good question. After dinner, let's read your book and we can look at that part. And, you know, and we had the Robbie Harris book and we looked at that part and they had, you know, and 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 it just helped us with no. And then, of course, then what happened was she had she had a friend who had two moms. Oh, yeah. And she was so she, yeah. was, she, read the, she was like, what about Gideon?
0: And, I and like, you're like. Different, different science. It's different like, like, well, science.
1: you know, they uh, Gideon's moms had a helper mm-hmm. um, who who gave them some sperm. And she said, how? And I said, well, you know, they went to the doctor's office. She, well, how did the doctor get? The-? And
0: I was like, OK, let's have a cookie. That's enough <laughs> of this conversation today. <laughs> I love it. Yes, we we haven't gotten into the sex conversations, yeah. but. What? A, what? But a being flight. ready
1: for it. But you being, know, ready like for no, it, the, being
0: ready for it. Being ready
1: yeah, for it. But one of the books, like those v. Harris books, they have just lovely little cartoons, and they're not—they're mm-hmm. appropriate. They're age appropriate, and you know, so that you're never making it something that feels, you know, dirty or taboo or unspeakable when they're little, and then as they get older, and things do become more complicated, and there are, you know, oh, uh, you know, they—they, they, all the things start happening. They are they know that they can come to you for somebody who who they can talk to, who will not be judgmental, who has already shown openness because, man, you know, it gets harder, you know.
0: Oh, I know. Everyone keeps telling me that. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm preparing for it. Well, actually, I'm really glad about the turn this conversation has taken because now I'm fascinated. I feel like there's a lot that I don't know about what boys are seeing on social media and the rigid masculinity. Yeah. Out besides Andrew Tate what like is this is this very prevalent this world for for young men yes I mean I don't want to I don't want to scare you too
1: much I I I really think that as much if if in a community of parents as you can keep your child from that as long as possible and then once they are gonna I mean it's it's a drag because you know they need to be online to do their schoolwork and all these different things. So, you know, the, our 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 tool of our work or our academic life has merged with the tool of our entertainment. Um, and, and that's tricky for all of us, right? For all of us. Yeah. Um, but for kids, I think, you know, what I'm finding out, I'm doing a, a project right now. And we don't have to go here because that's going to scare you even more. But I'm doing a project right now on young people and pornography. And, yeah. um, the, a lot of there, I mean, there's the whole point, you know, there's the whole like porn hub and all that, but a lot of what they find initially is more like on YouTube or social media. Oh, and so it's really, to it's, 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 I think hard for us because we didn't grow up with it as in the same way, but to be aware that these, the, you know, the algorithms they take them down these rabbit holes and they'll keep feeding them and feeding them and feeding them more extreme material. Um, and, and we, there just needs to be a lot of conversation as much, you know, blocking or minimizing as you can do, um, for little, for younger kids. Um, I think it's really important um, because the stuff that is going out to boys, uh, is, is extreme. Um, it's misogyn. it's really misogynist. Um, and and it can feel initially empowering. Um, so I, I, I just, it, I, I really, I feel like for our generation of parents, and you're even a generation of parents behind me because my daughter is, you know, in college now, but um, that we didn't, we were completely unprepared for how much of our parenting job was managing media, you know? I mean, I think that has become like an enormous part of our parenting job and something that we that that's hard to do because they're kind of ahead of us on, on that curve um but we it, it makes it all that, it's like why i i just was um oh, some some reporter in the Pacific Northwest called me because some sheriff had gone into the public library and seen a book called um like deal with it i think it was called it was a book on female puberty from 1999, uh, decided it was obscene, checked it out of the library and not brought it back uh, as a as a and some other book, too. And it was like, first of all, I was like, OK, the books from 1999 has been there since 1999. Why is he suddenly doing this and why? And like. It's completely outdated anyway. I would pull that book from the library for different reasons because, yeah. it, you know, social media hadn't even happened Um uh, So what is, you know, like, it's not even helpful, Um, but, and I'm not sure kids go to the library anymore because they're all, you know, like, like, but, but, and, and, and all of that, I mean, the, the book banning thing is part of this national coordinated effort and this guy, whether he is actively part of that effort or passively just, you know, himself consumes the media that gives him that idea ends up being part of the effort. But the but the larger issue was I was like, you think that you by taking some sex ed book out of the library, you're stopping kids from encountering this information? Because guess what? They've got a phone in their pocket and that phone is putting them in touch with so much that. I mean, you think if you don't talk about your your child about sex, they're not going to find out about it or they're going to find out about it in some like natural, healthy way or you know, figure it out. with That's not going to happen. The way that they're going to find out about it is online and you don't have a choice. And that's the same thing with boys and masculinity and emotion and all that stuff. They are finding out such massive misinformation about so many things online that so much of our job as parents is to counterbalance that at this point and to make sure that we're inculcating them with positive values, with love, with kindness, with caring, with real human. I mean, I think I like most of that negative stuff on the the internet. is about undermining our humanity and I you know it's not whether it's the masculinity stuff the sex stuff whatever it is it's all about undermining humanity and human connection and and compassion and listening to others and all the things that we are that are so important to us so just reinforcing those things constantly in our kids lives um becomes a big part of the task so you can't get rid of all the stuff online it's whack-a-mole but you yeah. but you can keep really strongly reinforcing your values and and reminding them and and educating them that what they see online is um, there to um, sell them things, whether it's an idea or a product.
0: Time for a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about finding positive role models for young boys online. are there positive role models for young boys and like an influence for good that is say the opposite of the Andrew Tates?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there, you know, you can find those all over. You can find those online as well. I mean, there's some like, there's some great Ted talks like Justin Baldini. you know, um, do you know him? Did did you watch? Um, No,
0: you're giving me so much, so much. He,
1: he is the guy. Did you ever watch? Oh shoot. What's that called? Um, the Virgin. Yes. Yes. Well, he's the, The guy on Jane the Virgin, the the, he's actually a white guy, but he's the guy who plays the Latino guy.
0: Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. is
1: actually of all things, he's Bahai, and apparently Bahai has really evolved ideas about masculinity. Who knew? And so he did this like beautiful. He he did this whole. He does a lot on masculinity. I think he has a book coming out Mm -hmm. um, on um, positive generative masculinity. There's some wonderful TED talks for older boys. I don't know as much for younger boys, but. There should be more like picture books and stuff. I feel like there's a number of things out there. You just have to be, it's the same as with girls, you know, to find, I mean, there's actually, it's easier with girls. You can find more feminist stuff more easily. There's sort of more of a, both a balance and a contradiction in the way that girls grow up. I think one thing that social media actually can give us in a positive way, if we let it, is helping your child establish boundaries. And by learning to establish them with us as parents, that helps them establish them in other areas of their social media life as well. So it's really important to be able to help them and let them do that. And to ask yeah. them, you know, to say when, as, you know, when, even when they're little, I think, you know, you can say like, can I? And they can.
0: And they can say. For whatever or not. reason they feel like.
1: Doesn't say it yes matter. Or no.
0: Say yes or no. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: We went. We okay, got that's my into. New thing. So we got into so many better topics than the Roman Empire today. I know. You said you wanted to shoot the shit. So I thought, let's just do it. Let's just talk about whatever let's, we feel like talking about. Let's was shoot the shit. And it was, it was such, yeah. good, such good shit shooting. I loved it. I loved this conversation. I'm so happy that you came on, Peggy. Thank you so much.
1: This was super fun. Still, I'd like people to get unraveling, even though we didn't talk about it.
0: <laughs> no. Well, hey, look. No. When we, as we end this conversation, tell me, tell the audience, because they love books. They love buying books. Mm-hmm. Tell us about unraveling.
1: So unraveling was I, you know, like everybody. I I had been like traveling around with boys and sex that just come out, and um, lockdown happened. Life stopped. Terror set in. All I could do, I was a knitter. All I could do was knit and talk to my mom, who was dead. So it was interesting that I spent the whole day talking to her. Um, oh wow! So you're she, knitting.
0: You were knitting and talking to your dead mom.
1: Yeah, um, because um, yeah. And and but but I realized at a certain point that it, and that kept me calm and yeah. and I realized even though my mom was not a calm person but I realized that what I was doing what I wanted what I was was to talk to her. This thing that was in defiance of all laws of nature, I wanted to talk to her and for her to be my age, and for me to be my age too, you know. And so I was like taking both sides of this. And and my mom had taught me to knit. That was why you know it it was relevant. Um, and in the book, there's this whole theme. She learned from her mom because so many women learn from their moms, and I started breathing into SLS, HM, um, and and it became a lot. One big theme of this book is like what we learned from our moms, what we didn't learn, what we wish we learned, what we're sorry we learned, what we pass on to our daughters, what we do. Like I never taught my daughter to knit because I knit in a weird way, and I didn't want her to learn the way I learned. And I thought, well, that's a metaphor, you know, for the things that we don't want to pass along to our daughters that we learned that we want to stop with us. Um, So that's a big thing. But in the course of doing this thing um, that I decided to do, as everybody else was off baking sourdough, I thought, I know, I'll learn to shear a sheep Um, because that's normal. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I did this whole, I don't know. I had some like, and this is back to the Roman Empire. The thing I think about all the time every day, Laura Ingalls Wilder. I think about Laura Ingalls Wilder all the time. All the time. In ways that are good and ways that are bad and ways that she's problematic and ways that she's, you know, all these different things. And one of them was like, okay, I'm stuck in Little House on the Prairie now because I've gone off on the covered wagon in mm-hmm. COVID land and I can't be in touch with anybody anymore. And I'm going to learn how to do a Laura Ingalls Wilder thing. And I learned to shear sheep and process. And I did this like, whole thing. But it became so much about more than that. It just, and that's why I think, I mean, you don't have to be a, a person, although I think a lot of us do do handcrafts. And as women, it's a really important thing and craft ties into witchcraft and like there's all these resonance um, to it. But um, it just became a lot for me about uh, confronting transition in my life as a woman. And um, my dad was dying. My mom was dead. My daughter was leaving for college. Um, I was in kind of disarray. That's why it's called unraveling. Uh, You know, the world was falling apart around me. It was also about learning to like we think We think about our food so much now, you know, so consciously and eco consciously, but we don't think about our clothes. Like, why don't we think about our clothing the way we think about our food? So, a lot of it became about looking at the environmental impact of our clothing. It became about thinking about what creativity means in both like personal ways and larger ways. Um, It became about all this history and lore and why, like I said, why the Greeks don't see blue and all this stuff. So, it was like all this stuff that ended up being in this book that was so much more than like a book is a braid and there's the part that you, more but more than three strands. There's the part that you know, which was that I was going to do this project. And then there was all the strands that I just didn't know. And and all that ended up being like so much not I want to say more interesting, but more surprising and not even more surprising, just different and relevant and women's work and the po- and like even the the history, like what did women do, Joe, when Trump was elected president?
0: We we knit. We made pussy hats out That's of yarn. Right. Yes. And there
1: is a reason for that. There's a reason that the first thing that women did was pick up knitting needles historically and culturally and, and across, you know, um, a- across economics and across ethnicities. Our handcraft has been a way that women, traditional handcraft, has expressed both dissent and patriotism politically and continues to be. Craftivism is a really big thing. And that learning that whole history of women's labor was incredible. So there's like all these aspects of this book that were just super fun and interesting and kept me from complete despair during um, the year of lockdown.
0: You <laughs> didn't expect it. You didn't expect it, Peggy. I have a great. I, I have a great plan for um, getting un, unraveled into more hands. Have you listened to our other podcast, Wilder, yet? Oh, I have. Are, wait, are, do you do Wilder? Is that you? Uh, Glennis McNichol is the host of Wilder, and I created it with her. So I'm the executive producer of it. Oh, my God. So yes. I,
1: I I have not I got it. You want to know why I have not Yeah. I'm so jealous that you thought of that idea that I, I have not been able to bring myself I to know. listen to it because I can't believe I didn't think of it. I know. I it know. It's such a good idea. I hear it's so brilliant and I'm going to listen to it. I just wrote a piece it, which got um, my editor at the New York Times. Sometimes he just sits on things, and then I know I don't they always do. I love my do. editor, but yeah. sometimes, and then it's too late for me to sell it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote a piece on the Roman Empire. Uh, yeah, you said that post, and it was, so I, I wrote why I think about Laura Ingalls Wilder all the time, and and yeah. I and he sat on it, and now I I don't know what to do about it. Um, I don't but it know. it was it was it was pivoting off of men think about the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Was there something that women think about? It turns out it's Laura Ingles Like with all due respect to it's, the Austinite and the Louisa May Alcott people, no shade. No. But it's Laura Ingles and Anna it's, Queen Cables. There's all those ladies, but not me. No, it's all um, no, it's
0: Laura, and it's Laura for it's Glennis Laura. too, which she, she's been talking about. Laura Ingles We've been friends for almost 20 years. I've been talking about her. For as long as I've known her, it's her obsession. We've driven across the country several times, and she would take me to the homesteads off the beaten path to... every time. And so I was finally like, you're going to have to do a podcast on this. I'll produce it. Why every... aren't you my
1: friend? And why didn't you say this to me? I know. Joe. I know. I'm sorry. Peyton. Damn it. No, but it's I okay. Failed. It's my failed. Joe. My grandfather um, grew up on a homestead. And oh, my God. So... I and and my other gra- my other great grandfather was um, a lumberjack, which is weird. You know, I'm Jewish, and that's kind of a weird background. Not really. Yeah. It's not weird if you're from where I'm from, but yeah. it's not Hester Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. but my grand my grandfather grew up on the homestead in North Dakota. I grew up on those stories of raising the barns and picking the wild cherries and choke cherries and breaking the horses, and then everybody dying and the crops all being leveled by hail like all the yeah. awful too, like all yes. of it. The so Laura yeah, yeah. In my da- grandfather's case, it was hail, mm-hmm. um, and because the Dakotas is a terrible place to do that stuff. Terrible, and and so I felt this kindred to Laura in part because I I felt like I was not that far away from mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. Um, growing up with these stories in my life, and then we had a butter churn in the kitchen growing up, which my oh, mom would stop. let not let me actually use but I would sit there and pretend to churn my butter and you know I think we all boiled the maple syrup and poured it into the Mm -hmm. snow and lost all the maple syrup and you know Mm -hmm. all the things we had a my mom liked auntie we had a a a wagon from a horse and buggy in the den so I would would sit on it and pretend to take my horses you know and and go in my covered wagon Um, oh my gosh yeah I mean I had a whole Laura life going on so yeah
0: We went to a lot of places today. We started out with the Roman Empire, made it to rigid and terrifying masculinity. And on that front, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about subjecting all of you to this man, Andrew Tate. This man who is now in my feed, and it is some of the worst shit that I have ever seen. I hate that he's online. I hate that young boys are watching him online. I hate everything about it. I do. I do but at least we know. Now we know. And then this episode did go in a happier place. We talked about sheep shearing and knitting, which was nice. That was, that, was, that was good for me. And as always, all points led to Laura Ingalls Wilder. Because yes, my takeaway is that Laura Ingalls Wilder is the Roman Empire for most women. It is. I really want to see Peggy's story about that. Go buy her book Unraveling and all her other books, Girls and Sex, boys and sex, and Cinderella ate my daughter. Peggy is a treasure, and I am so grateful that she responded to my email and said she would shoot the shit with me. That is all we've got for today. Go shear a sheep, or learn to knit, or send Andrew Tate some hate mail. He deserves it. He's probably gonna fucking dox me right now, isn't he? Also, as always, my friends, pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance. Pre-order it and send it to Andrew Tate, because he seems like the kind of dude who could really use some strong, kick-ass women characters in his life. Love you all. Talk soon.